It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me, Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 301 of the podcast. It is Whipping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 6, 2020, people. Hope everyone had a great Monday. Hope you enjoyed Monday's episode in which I basically broke down everything there was to break down from the college football Saturday. Fun Saturday. If you missed Monday's show, we talked about Oklahoma stinking, Texas A&M stinking, Tennessee being good potentially, Arkansas winning a game, Georgia finding its quarterback. So much to recap, so much to get into. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you missed it, go back and download. Today's episode, a little bit different. We got our little Tuesday hodgepodge show here is what we're going to do. Uh, last week, I actually talked a little NBA on this show. I previewed the finals. If you remember, I talked Pat Riley, all that stuff. Today, it's going to be much the same. But uh, the, the topic that I'm going to hit on today is that the NBA finals are absolutely tanking. A contest, a thing that usually gets 15 to 20 million viewers is getting about 4 million viewers. Game two was the equivalent of Mississippi State LSU. I'm going to tell you what happened, what I think what I think is going on. I promise you it's not super political. I don't make all these political claims. I actually think it has to do with the basketball, and I think it has to do with a few other topics that I will get into. I will also play uh, America's favorite game, really. Where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. Yes, I stole it from my buddy Colin Cowherd, and I talk about all the things that uh, I have gotten right over the last couple weeks as we're a couple weeks into college football, all the things that I've gotten wrong, give myself a few pats on the back, give myself a few slaps across the face, and we move on. Back end of the show, more of kind of the same stuff. I welcome on my good friend Nick Coffey. For those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, Nick was a regular contributor to the show early on. Our schedules don't really cross paths as much. Nick hosts a morning radio show in Louisville, uh, but he joins me. Really fun conversation about an hour long on the back end. We talk about all sorts of stuff. We talk about this NBA Finals stuff. We talk a little college football. He has, of course, seen Miami in person, Miami getting set to 
to face Clemson in the biggest game of this weekend. And we also talk a little college basketball. Nick is a radio host in Louisville, and we do talk a little bit about that Chris Mack, John Calipari back and forth. It's good, as I always say, to, especially on this Tuesday episode, sometimes bring in another voice, somebody different, as much as I value, you know, being on the airwaves and talking to you guys. I do think that even sometimes I get tired of hearing my own voice, and so I think it's good to have somebody like Nick come in. So Nick Coffey joins me later. I will be here for the first 20, 25 minutes off the top. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Do it on pretty much all the podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Podcast Addict. If you have a an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and you'll want to subscribe to this show if you enjoy it so that if you're subscribed, the episode gets delivered straight to your phone. There's no meddling around. There's no wondering, when did AT drop his new episode? When is it coming out? Delivered straight to your phone, so make sure to subscribe. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts. Uh, and make Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore or excuse me, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Also, the new Twitter page, Aaron Torres pod on Twitter, Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. And as I've mentioned a few times, we do have the YouTube channel up and rolling. People are loving it. Go find me on YouTube uh, at Aaron Torres, uh, where I'm posting a lot of stuff that's on this show, and a lot of people have liked the content over there, a lot of subscribers here really since college football picked up, so I appreciate everybody supporting me over there, but again, you can find me on YouTube as well as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc., All right, there is no more time to waste, people. Let's get into it. Biggest topic of the day, in my opinion, as you get set to listen to this on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning, whatever, we will be getting set for game four, excuse me, I was going to say three, game four of the NBA Finals. Game three was obviously awesome. Jimmy Butler, 40-plus points. Tyler Hero does the Tyler Hero snare, snarl. I guess it'd be a snarl. Tyler Hero does the snarl after the big bucket. Uh, And I think you guys probably that watched it enjoyed it. But I think the topic and the story of these NBA Finals is that nobody is watching. Now, I will say... I think we have a pretty basketball-savvy audience on this show. I do believe that most of you guys are watching the NBA Finals. But really, the big story coming out of these NBA Finals is kind of exactly what I just said. No one is watching these NBA Finals. Game 1 had 7.41 million viewers, which was the lowest-rated Game 1 or Finals rating in NBA history, or at least certainly in the modern era, the post-Bird Magic era. And then Game 2, this is incredible. Game 2, Friday night, going up against no major sports, got 4.5 million viewers for Game 2 of the NBA Finals. That is a ridiculously low number to compare uh, Game 4, Five or so game six I looked it up prior to coming on the show most of last year's NBA finals with the Warriors and the Raptors averaged around 15 to 16 million viewers I think it peaked in game six when the Raptors ended up winning and that was without the Canadian market which was obviously where the Raptors came from so to go from 16 million viewers in 2019 down to 4 million in 2020 is absolutely insane and as I just said a minute ago 
if you need some context, the first SEC on CBS game of the college football season, Mississippi State at LSU, did 4.4 million viewers. So just think about it in that context. You have a essentially, in the grand scheme of things, a meaningless college football game. That's no disrespect to Mississippi State, but when you look at it, yes, LSU is the defending national champion, but Mississippi State is basically a non-consequential program in the history of college football, and you have that game going head-to-head with other college football games on a Saturday afternoon basically getting the same rating as an NBA Finals game Friday night when there is nothing to compete with it. There was no NFL. There was no major college football. I think BYU was playing that night. And as far as Major League Baseball is concerned, there was only one playoff game that night, which was Cardinals-Padres, which, uh, sorry about that, doesn't exactly move the needle. And so it is a really, really bad moment in time for the NBA. The ratings are absolutely tanking. And as I like to do on this show... I've really kind of spent the last few days really trying to think about, okay, what is the reason? Why are the NBA ratings so low? And I think there are a few reasons. As I promised off the top, I am not going to go off the deep end on the political stuff. But listen, I do think that that is at least a factor. I do think when people tune into sports, they do not want to be lectured on politics and on voting and on this and on that. Um, And I do think it's a factor. I I told this story on Twitter a few weeks ago, but a a few weeks ago, I tuned into uh, the preview show, the pregame show for, uh, I think it was Celtics Heat. It was game four, game five, whatever is on ESPN. And I turn on the pregame show to get some analysis about the game, and there's Jay Williams and Paul Pierce telling me how important it is to vote. It's like, dude, Guys, I know it's important to vote. Everybody knows it's important to vote. I don't need to tune on, turn into ESPN 10 minutes before a game for me to realize that I need to vote, okay? There is no one sitting there watching that game saying, you know, I wasn't going to vote. But since Jay Williams said it on the pregame, I guess I should go ahead and go vote. So I do think we cannot avoid that, right? I do think that is part of it. But I think there are two reasons that are bigger that most people aren't talking about, right? Most people are going to say one of two things oh, it's not a big deal, it's so, it's so random and it's so this year is so different and they're playing in a bubble and they're playing in the fall and they're this and that and the other thing. So some people say no big deal. When you lose 75% of your audience year over year, it is a big deal. And then the other side will say, well, it's strictly because of the politics. And I don't believe it's strictly because of the politics. But I do think there are two reasons and there are two reasons why the NBA ratings are struggling so much. The first one is something that I actually told you was going to happen back in the springtime. If you remember back in the spring, that oasis, that, that whatever the opposite of oasis is, that dry desert, uh, long stretch where we had no sports, and all I could do on this show is come on and talk about what sports would look like when they came back, and what I said was, when the NBA actually put together a proposal to get back onto the court... I said, guys, look at that schedule. They're taking too long. And if you remember, there was a situation where basically all the teams were essentially allowed back into their facilities around like the middle of June. Then they scrimmaged for a few weeks in their facilities and they came down to the bubble. They scrimmaged for a few more weeks. End of July, they actually tip off the regular season, play two weeks of regular season games. And then by the time the playoffs started, they were essentially going head to head with football. And so I do think like that is a factor in all of this. And even though the NBA did not go head to head with the NFL on either game one, which was last Wednesday, or game two, which was on Friday, 
I do think it is a factor in why people are not watching these finals. Because as I told you what happened in June, when we get to September, we all, our brains turn to, it turns into fall mode, right? We're thinking changing the leaves, pumpkin spice uh, 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 drinks. We're thinking going to the pumpkin patch with, with, with grandma and grandpa, like whatever. But, but we think football when we think September. Air gets a little cooler. Like I said, you get that warm pumpkin spice drink, whatever. Like, but, but you don't think NBA. You don't think basketball. And so I do think that is part of this. It is what I told you. I told you from the beginning, they had to move this time frame up. They shouldn't wait so long because when they go head-to-head with the NBA, they're going to get crushed. Or with the NFL, they're going to get crushed. And I do think that is a reality of what is going on right now. I don't think it's necessarily that they're going directly head-to-head with the NFL, but I think it's that there is almost a sports overload at this point. I mean, we're in the middle of October now, beginning to middle of October. And you think about it. Our sports calendars at this time of the year are already so overwhelmed. We got Thursday night football. We got college football all day Saturday. We got NFL football all day Sunday. We got Monday night football. And the thing with football is it's just so ingrained in what we do. Like we're not giving up Sundays on the couch with the boys. We're not giving up Sundays at Buffalo Wild Wings or at the bar hanging out. We're not giving up Saturdays where maybe for 50 years of your family's lifetimes, your grandparents, your parents, everybody gets together and watches whoever your favorite team is, Arkansas, Tennessee, Ohio State, Michigan, Kentucky, whoever. Like you're just not giving that up. And so something has to give. And that's where I think that we are at with the NBA and something that I think is causing them to struggle in these ratings. I just think people just don't have enough time to commit an extra two days to the NBA when they have four days committed to football already, right? When you have a Thursday night NFL game, Saturday college football, all day Sunday NFL, Monday night football, it's kind of hard to tell the wife, like, honey, I'm going to go watch Tyler Hero versus LeBron tonight, okay? Listen, I know you didn't see me on Saturday, and I know you didn't see me on Sunday, and I know Monday night I watched that Patriots-Chiefs game that got bumped back, but now I'm going to go watch Tyler Hero LeBron. It just doesn't work like that, and I do think there's a little bit of a sports overload right now, and I will admit, even in my own life, even in my own career, it is a struggle to find that balance. My job is to watch sports, and I find it hard to keep up with the NBA now that the football season has started. As soon as the football week ends, I'm starting to think about gambling, what are the next big games, all those things, and it's hard for me to keep up. And I'm not complaining because this is my job, and I clearly love my job, and I will certainly take too many sports over not enough, but it is a struggle to keep up with all this stuff. So I think that's the first reason. And I think the second reason is something that I haven't really heard a lot of people talk about. I really do think that this is the year that all of the NBA team jumping and players leaving from one place to another, to another, to another, to another, I think it's finally caught up with the NBA. And let me explain why, and let me give you a little bit of context why. So (laughs) as, like I said, um, we all have commitments outside of sports, right? Uh, And one of my commitments is a married. I have a wife. She's lovely. She's awesome. We get along great. And she's great because she understands it's my job to watch sports. Doesn't really give me a hard time. But on top of all the sports that I normally watch, in one of the great upsets in the history of marriage, I have convinced her over the last couple weeks, watch The Last Dance, 
Watch the Michael Jordan documentary with me. Let's rewatch it. It's really good. You'll enjoy it. And to her credit, she loves it. She's like me. She's a child of the 90s. She peripherally remembers Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Uh, she was obviously, she grew up in LA, so she was more of a Lakers Kobe guy. But she remembers the Bulls. She enjoys the heck out of it. She's also in the uh, marriage family space. So she loves diagnosing uh, Dennis Rodman and, and, and Scottie Pippen. And why did Scottie Pippen want out of this game? And what does it all mean? And so she's really enjoying it. But as I now get the chance to not only see the last dance, but see it for a second time, something really jumps out to me, right? And what jumps out to me is that I think when we, when we watched it the first time and we kind of broke down, okay, like why is Michael Jordan this mythical character? I think what it was was that why we watched Michael Jordan was because he always came out on top, but also that he always had a challenger and you had to, to tune in to see if somebody could take him down. And as I watch this documentary for the second time, like it's really hitting me. I think we watch Michael Jordan because of his greatness, but I think he got so good to a point that we were just like, dude, is anyone ever going to beat this guy? And if you watch the documentary, it's incredible. Every episode, there's a new villain. Every episode, there's a new guy that thinks he's the guy that's going to take down Michael Jordan. First, it's Magic Johnson. Oh, I'm not ready to give up. It's my league. It's this. It's that. Yeah, Michael Jordan punked him in the finals, punked him in Barcelona at the Olympics, and it's Michael Jordan's league. Then he got Clyde Drexler. Oh, they're kind of the same player, and they're da 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 da. Michael Jordan punks him. Then it's Charles Barkley. Then Jordan retires. He comes back. It's Patrick Ewing. It's Reggie Miller. It's Gary Payton. It's Sean Kemp. It's Carl Malone, it's John Stein. One after the other, every year there's a new challenger. Every year there's a new team that thinks they are ready to take what's Michael Jordan's. And so when I look back on the Michael Jordan stuff, I do think the reason that he was so mythical, the reason that we kept having to watch year after year was to see is somebody finally going to take this guy down. And of course his history tells us nobody ever does, but I think that's what made him such a compelling character. And I do think this generation of guys, I think they've taken that interest out of the game of basketball. And listen, this isn't going to be the part, and Nick Coffey and I are going to talk about this in a minute. This isn't going to be the part where I go, old man on my lawn, and oh my God, these guys, they should never leave. And if you, if you get drafted by this team, you should stay there your whole career. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that there's something compelling about watching someone no different than us in real life, right? Like in real life, we all have adversity. We all have highs. We all have lows. We all have job promotions. We all get laid off. We all go through divorces. We all have uh, health issues. Like that is part of the real world. And I do think that makes us like our athletes even more, right? Like the reason that we enjoyed Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid winning the Super Bowl last year, how many times did Andy Reid get to the NFC Championship game with Donovan McNabb and he couldn't get over the top? Patrick Mahomes getting to the AFC Championship game and losing to Tom Brady. Like, we enjoyed it because they had to struggle to, do, to get to the top. That's part of the reason why we hated Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, because they just kept winning every year. But we enjoyed Andy Reid. We enjoyed Patrick Mahomes. We're enjoying the ascent of Lamar Jackson and not too much too soon coming to him. And I do think that's been taken out of the NBA, where... 
even a couple years ago when LeBron was in Cleveland, it was like, okay, they got to get by these Golden State Warriors. Can they do it? Can they overcome it? And now it's just like, you just look across the NBA and everybody just keeps reshuffling the deck every two years and trying to start over. If it doesn't work out right away, they're trying to start over. In the case of Kawhi Leonard, it worked out. He won a championship and he started over. But I think for the average fan, it's like, man, I don't really want LeBron to win this thing because if I, look, LeBron two years ago was in Cleveland. He gets to LA. He doesn't even like his teammates. He gets all his teammates traded, and now he has a super team. And now he's probably going to win it because Anthony Davis is awesome. And, like, I don't blame LeBron for that. Like, I'm not one of these guys, oh, LeBron ruined the NBA. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is, like, man, it's just, like, it's hard to get, like, fired up and excited for LeBron when it's like, dude, Nine months ago, 10 months ago, you were running Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram out of town. Like, how am I supposed to get excited to root for that guy? Like, I just, I, I can't. Same with KD. I think KD was much more interesting when he was with Oklahoma City trying to get, get over the hump, get over the top, win that championship, than he is with Golden State. And I know he's not with Golden State anymore. But when he was with Golden State, like trying, like, like just having a super team and winning all the time. Anthony Davis, Paul Jordan. I mean, you could go on and on and on and on and on. And so I think it's hurting the NBA for, for this season because it's like there's no, there's no like you tune in to root for this guy or you tune in to root against that guy. It's kind of like, well, if you tune in to root against LeBron and it doesn't work, he'll just trade for another superstar, and that's the end of it. Um, and the crazy thing is I think it's even impacting the local markets too. I live here in L.A., and I'm telling you right now, the Lakers are by far, by far, the biggest team in this area. People think, oh, LA has two NFL teams, two Major League Baseball teams, two NBA teams. No, 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 no. Lakers are it. They get talked about on the radio 24-7 the way that, say, uh, the New York Yankees get talked about in New York. Doesn't matter how many teams there are, the Yankees are always a topic. Yankees are always a topic. Kentucky basketball, Alabama football, doesn't matter what else is going on, always a topic in their local community. And that's how it is with the Lakers. And I'm telling you, I have friends who are Lakers fans that are like, dude, like I'm rooting for it because it's the purple and gold. And like, I'm excited to see my team have success. But I don't know these guys, man. LeBron showed up 10 minutes ago. I was rooting against him for all those years. And now all of a sudden, I'm just supposed to root for him. I'm supposed to be happy for him. I'm supposed to be excited. I'm supposed to, uh, you know, uh, 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 sweat and bleed with him. It's like, no. In the Lakers' case, they have three or four guys that joined the team right before the bubble. They haven't even been with the team for three months. And so I just think it's interesting because I do think there's more to this story than meets the eye. I don't think it's all politics. I don't think it's all that they're going head-to-head with other sports. I think fans are just kind of like, dude, like how am I supposed to get excited to watch LeBron when if it doesn't work out, he's just going to trade a bunch of guys and get a new team next year? Same with KD, same with this guy, same with Kawhi, same with that. Like, I do think that's part of it. And I do think it's reflected in the ratings. And it is one reason why I don't talk a ton of NBA on this show. Because for as much airtime as the NBA gets on ESPN and all their shows and all the radio shows and all this and all that, I'm telling you, and Nick Coffey and I will talk about it in a minute. Like, you guys are more interested in regular season college football right now than you are in the NBA Finals. The ratings reflect that. Interest reflects that. I'm a guy that likes both. I like everything. I could talk anything. But I'm just telling you, I think the NBA is really struggling right now, and I think it's because of the reasons that I listed. I would also add, as I start to wrap up, I think it's the reason why everyone's rooting for the Heat. Because the Heat have a bunch of guys that are likable. Like, I know Jimmy Butler just came as a free agent, 
But Jimmy Butler's a guy that was a four-year college player, Juco guy, no silver spoon, same with Bam Adebayo, same with Tyler Hero, same with Goran Dragic, on and on and on. And I think that's why people relate to him. So that's my NBA spiel, but I do think it's kind of worth talking. I mean, the NBA, I'm telling you, it is doing worse ratings right now than random college, like not great college football games, not Georgia-Florida, not Alabama-LSU, not Ohio State-Michigan. I'm talking about decent to below decent college football games are getting better ratings than the NBA, and I think it's worth considering, and that's kind of where my thoughts are at. All right, really quick, before we get to Nick Coffey, uh, it's time to play a little game. It's called Where Aaron Was Right, Where Aaron Was Wrong. And what I like to do every once in a while is that, frankly, you know, listen, I like to think I'm amazing. My grandma used to tell me she, that I'm amazing. I trusted her judgment. She seemed like a very trustworthy person. She told me I was amazing all the time. But I'm not always right. I'm not always amazing. I come on here and I give this opinion and that opinion, and sometimes I look really smart, sometimes I look really dumb. And so what I like to do, I did steal this bit from my buddy Colin Cowherd. Been on the, sh- the show with Colin a few times. He's a good friend. Not a good friend. He's a friend of mine. But he does a bit every Monday where Colin was right, where Colin was wrong. And it's basically him. This Look, I nailed this one. But man, I screwed this one up really bad. It's something I do on this show every once in a while. But I do think it's really fun. And I do think um, it is, it's just something that sometimes you got to own an L. You got to take an L. And so let's do it. Let's explain what I got right and got wrong over the last couple months. And I will say we're going to jump from sport to sport. It isn't just college football. Let's start with where Aaron was right. I was right on the NBA. Just spent a bunch of time talking about it. Not going to spend too much time discussing it here. But I said in June, I said in May, I said, guys, you can't be twiddling your thumbs and dragging your feet. Figure out a plan. Get guys back on the court and get guys playing. If you wait till late July to start, if you play regular season games, if you don't go straight to the playoffs, by the time we get to September, we're going to be tuned out. I said it was going to happen, and it has happened. The ratings are a disaster, and I just think once we get to September, we turn our attention to football. We're now in October. We're going to start ramping up baseball. I don't think the NBA ratings are getting better. I don't think it's because they're playing in a bubble. I don't think it's all the political stuff. I just think we have too much on our plates right now, too much going on, and it's not even necessarily the NBA competing with the NFL and Major League Baseball. I just think it's the idea that there, at some point there's a sports overload. At some point we can't sit on the couch seven nights a week when you have families and kids and jobs outside of sports. That's the reality. I told you it was going to happen, and it's largely happening. Where Aaron was wrong. Kyle Trask. So a few weeks ago I was giving my college football, oh, this is the national championship, oh, this is the this, this is the that, and I said kind of in passing, I was like, well, Florida's getting a lot of hype, but like they're not going to win. They're not going to compete for a national championship. Kyle Trask is fine, but he's not the kind of quarterback that's going to put you in position to make the college football playoff. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Justin Fields. He's not Tua. Wrong. Kyle Trask, as I record here, has 10 touchdown passes, which is the second most in all of college football. Uh, Florida is rolling. They have the number one offense in the SEC right now, and it is because of this quarterback. Listen, his story is incredible, right? Didn't start a high school game, comes in last year as a backup, gets his shot when Felipe Franks gets hurt, but I was just wrong on Kyle Trask. I never thought he would be this good, this quick uh, relative to Florida, and I thought that he would be a weak link outside of their running game, outside of their defense. I thought he would be the thing that's holding them back. It's almost the exact opposite. I think he is what's elevating Florida. 
I think they're maybe the second or third best team in the SEC behind Alabama and Georgia, and it's because of Kyle Trask, not despite him. Where Aaron was right. I tried to tell you last week, Auburn's not good, guys. I tried to tell you Auburn's not good, and here's the thing. And I say it on this show all the time, and you guys who are regular listeners know, but you can't put a fast one by Torres because I watch the games. And do I maybe overreact in one direction or another? Sometimes, of course. We're going to get to Mississippi State in a second. I was slobbering all over Mike Leach a week ago. But if you watch the Auburn-Kentucky game, there was nothing in that game that made you feel like, okay, Auburn is legit. They're going head-to-head with Bama and Jordan. No. They struggled against Kentucky. A turnover. Uh, there was a touchdown that was overturned that shouldn't have been overturned, and their final two scoring possessions came within the 30-yard line. They were two scoring drives that were less than 30 yards. And I said, if Kentucky doesn't have those two turnovers, one of them which wouldn't have happened if they had gotten the touchdown call early, Auburn doesn't have those points. Well, what happens? They go to Georgia. Six total points, no touchdowns the entire game. And check this out. Auburn, all the hype. Gus Malzahn, they hire Chad Morris. They are now 13th out of 14 teams in the SEC in total offense. I just don't think they're very good. I told you they weren't very good after the Kentucky game. I told you Georgia was one of my favorite bets of the weekend, and I was right on that. Where Aaron was wrong, how about those Central Florida Knights? Uh, if you remember early on, they beat Georgia Tech really what was like the first full weekend of college football, and I got all excited, and I said, I was like, guys, Georgia Tech, or excuse me, UCF, they just beat everybody. They deserve some respect. Maybe they'll be in the playoff. Uh, yeah, not so much. They lost to Tulsa on Saturday night. Second straight year, ironically, that they lost to Tulsa. But here's what's crazy about that game. They actually got up 16-0 early in the game. Uh, they scored 10 points after the first quarter, three points in the second half. Second straight year, they've lost to Tulsa. But look, UCF, fun. They'll put up stats against bad teams, but I just completely whiffed on them. They're nowhere close to being a a playoff contender. They're nowhere close to being a team that can compete with the upper teams in the SEC, even the ACC, even the the Big Ten with Ohio State and Michigan and all them. So yeah, I got to own UCF. I missed on that one. Where Aaron was right. It's the Tennessee Volunteers, but it's deeper because here's the thing. You can go back and find these tweets. I was one of the few people in the national media that said from the beginning that Tennessee not only should not hire Greg Schiano, but I did not blame their fan base when they completely revolted, okay? A little bit of backstory for people who don't know, I went to UConn, and when I was at UConn, Greg Schiano was at Rutgers. I know guys that played for him, but more importantly, Even the Greg Schiano-Rutgers story is a little bit overblown. It was the worst team in college football. He got them to a certain level where they could win six, seven, eight games, but then it bottomed out, and then his career stalled after that. And so for him to come back to college football in the SEC, get hired by Tennessee with no ties to the SEC, no ties to the South outside of an NFL job, it didn't make sense for me. And I said the day that the quote-unquote hire happened, I said, Tennessee fans should not be happy with this. Uh, the exact quote I use, I go, "He's Gre- Greg Schiano is Butch Jones with a better haircut. That is the bottom line. I defended Tennessee fans when they revolted. And as a general rule, I'm going to defend sports fans when they are not satisfied with their organization. You cannot just try to pull a fast one on the fans. You cannot say, we know more than you and this is our final word. No, the fans are the lifeblood of any organization, any program, any whatever. 
and you can't just pick and choose whoever you want and think that you're going to get it by them. And so I, I defended Tennessee fans. I told Tennessee fans, you're right. You deserve better. I didn't like the narrative that kind of came with Shiano with the Greg, uh, Jerry Sandusky stuff, but I, do, I didn't believe that he was the right fit at that time. Well, as it turns out, Tennessee fans fought their administration, got their AD at the time, John Curry, out, got Philip Fulmer in as the AD, and Philip Fulmer hired a guy named Jeremy Pruitt. Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee now are on an eight-game winning streak, and I understand they haven't played anybody, but you have to understand how bad Tennessee was for how long, and there is something to be said about a program just taking care of business against the Missouris, against the South Carolinas, the teams that they're supposed to, which is exactly what Tennessee has done. I love the Jeremy Pruitt hire. We are going to learn a lot more about Tennessee this weekend against Georgia, but I was right. Greg Schiano was not the guy. Greg Schiano would not have them on an eight-game winning streak right now. Jeremy Pruitt has Tennessee rolling. Warren was wrong. Um, just mentioned it, but Mike Leach. said a few days ago, a few episodes ago, I think he's the most underrated coach in college football. And, like, I actually do think that that's, like, a fair thing for me to say. Like, I don't think I was completely out of line. But I did maybe go a little bit overboard as Mike Leach, of course, loses to Arkansas on Saturday. Listen, it's a credit to Arkansas. I'm not trying to discredit what they did. But at the same time, you know, we had people talking about Mississippi State. Are they the second best team in the SEC behind Bama after week one? As it turns out, no. They're a good team. They're an explosive team. Depending on how you defend them, can they break a few plays? If you can do that, you might be able to, Mississippi State might be able to beat you. But there's also a very good chance that you can beat Mississippi State if you implement Arkansas's game plan, keep the plays in front of you, don't let them beat you deep. Arkansas did that, and Mississippi State now is looking more and more like probably a 6-4 and four type football team, not a 7-3, and 8-2 and two type team that can compete in the SEC West. Last one, where Aaron was right. A little bit obscure, but on Saturday, we're going to switch to college hoops now. On Saturday... Middle of college football, Alabama basketball gets a commit from J.D. Davison, five-star guard from the state of Alabama. And where Aaron was right was the day Nate Oates was hired, I will never forget where I was. I was at the West Regional NCAA tournament in Anaheim. It was the year that Texas Tech beat Gonzaga to go to the Final Four. The other two games, it was Texas Tech, Michigan, and Gonzaga, Florida State. I was at the press conference, and my phone goes crazy because Nate Oates is hired as the Alabama head coach. I said it was a great hire at the time. It was. He has this program rolling. Listen, I know that it didn't go perfectly in season one, but they, as I said on this show many times, I had Nate Oates on. They established their brand. They established who they are. And now he has them going in the right direction. A really talented team in 2021 with John Petty back, with Javon Quinterly, the point guard transfer coming in. And Alabama has it rolling in recruiting. We'll see if it transitions. But they get a five-star top 15 kid. Now the only thing I would say is they got to watch the G League because the G League might come after this kid. But great commitment. And Alabama and Nate Oates have it rolling. I told you they would. He's been even better than expected. All right, I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. Coming up, as I mentioned, Nick Coffey, my guy. He hosts radio in Louisville, 710, uh, 790 KRD in Louisville, 7 to 10 Eastern time. He hosts the morning show there, and we have a really fun conversation. We talk about a lot of the NBA stuff that I talked about. We talk some college football, and, of course, we talk a ton 
on that Chris Mack, John Calipari beef from last week. And of course, he is in the belly of the beast down in Louisville. And I was actually surprised. He was a little bit more critical of Chris Mack than I thought he would be. And that's one reason why I love having Nick, love having Nick on this show, because he isn't a guy that's going to kowtow to the local uh, head coach. He's going to tell it like it is. And I think it's a fun interview that you will. Enjoy. All right, before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast, the Aaron Torres Podcast. Do it on iTunes. Do it on the Podcast Addict app. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media. At Aaron Torres Pod on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back Thursday, but now here is my conversation with my main man, Nick Coffee. All right, joining me via Zoom, as promised. Uh, love having this guy on. Uh, I think we're going to start to make it a pseudo-regular thing now. We've been dancing around this for a while, but with the third episode, kind of gives me some wiggle room to get creative here in the middle of the week. You can hear him. 790 KRD in Louisville was a regular, essential, essentially a co-host when I started this thing. He's still on pretty regularly. Uh, Nick Coffey, again, 790 KRD in Louisville, 7 to 10 Eastern. My man, what's going on? Not much, man. Happy to be back at it and no better time to do it than now because we're getting payback, right? We paid in during the pandemic, no sports, so much doubt and fear. And now here we are early October and it's, uh, it's not too much, but it's certainly a lot going on and uh, I love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Well, I dubbed last week the greatest sports week in the history of our lives when the Stanley Cup final overlapped with the NBA playoff, the NBA finals, excuse me, major league play playoffs and NFL college football. So uh, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say, like, we are getting paid back in spades. It, it's been surreal, and I just finished talking about the NBA, and I want to get to the NBA in a minute. Uh, but it does feel like almost a sports overload here, night in and night out, where Major League playoffs, NBA, NFL college football on the weekends, Monday, Thursday, it is a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, and it's awesome. I was a little worried that w when we saw the calendar months ago of what it was going to look like, given that everything goes well and COVID doesn't rear its ugly head, or people just wake up and realize we're going to have to find ways to get through it because it's not going anywhere. I digress. But I was a little worried maybe I, w I wouldn't like having, having it all happen at once. But what I've realized is I don't really watch playoff hockey. Um, the NBA is great, but right now we're at a point where you're just following the final series. Uh, and in college football, still gets all my attention. And what do you know, uh, because of some cancellations, some postponed games, we get a double Monday night football this week. So uh, I was a little paranoid thinking, uh oh, maybe I'm going to learn that maybe I don't like some of these sports as much as I, I thought I did because I have to switch as far as what I'm rooting for. But uh, so far, so good. Okay, so then let's talk that then, because I was going to lead with college football. Obviously, we're in the heart of college football season, but I, I actually did to lead the show talk a little bit of NBA, 
And the ratings are actually really, really low, Nick. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these reports. Uh, as we're recording, we haven't gotten a Game 3 rating yet. But Game 1 was the lowest rated finals ever, finals game ever, I should say. Uh, and that was immediately followed by Game 2 being even worse. And so, you know, what I said is this, is that, you know, I, I think there is a segment of people that is overwhelmed with the politics of this thing. But I also think that, to me, I don't think politics is the main reason, right? So I have two kind of big thoughts, and I'll throw the first one at you. We'll react, then we'll do the second one. First one is this. I said this in June. When the NBA be kind of put together their timeline, I said, what are they waiting for? They're getting to the bubble early July. Why are they waiting until July 30th? Um, because by the time September hits, we're going to turn our full attention to football. And so, you know, I think that this is a factor in why the NBA ratings are so low. Is like you said, Nick, people are having to choose. And I just think that when you look at the fact that uh, Saturday people love their college football, Sunday people love their NFL, you got a Thursday night game, you got a Monday night game, I just don't think it leaves a lot of bandwidth to do other stuff. And so I, I actually find myself, and I'm not Mr. O, the NBA is this. Like I will like watching NBA basketball, and I think I enjoyed the early portion of the bubble that was almost like March Madness where you had, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray and Devin Booker and all these young guys, Luca. It's really fun. But since we've gotten to football season, man, I'm just having a really tough time getting invested in the NBA. You can disagree with me, but I do think that's part of this. And it was something that I was talking about back in May and June when the NBA was trying to put together this schedule that was going to eventually have to go head to head with uh, with the NFL. Yeah, I think you're spot on as far as even though maybe they're not going head to head with each other like a football game and an NBA finals game happening at the same time you're still mentally locked into knowing it is football season. And yes. I think, I think the NBA has, I, I follow the NBA relatively closely. I feel like I watch it more so than the average fan, but I'm not a super fan. But one thing I've learned about the NBA is that because of its partnership with the four letter network, it is shoved in our face 24 seven. They talk about it around the clock and they do that because it's good for business, right? More people would watch because they're talking about it. It's topical. But the NBA is a sport that, again, ESPN makes you think that everybody nationally watches it. But again, the numbers tell you that they don't. You did a great job of pointing out the college football games that, not great games, by the way, that do better than some of these NBA finals games, which is kind of head scratching. But another problem the NBA has, again, when I think it's just misleading how much it's talked about. But it's also a sport that you can keep up with what's going on and be somewhat into the association, if you will, but not really watch any games. You don't have to tune in. And I think the NBA's free agency season being as popular as it is, that's the drama. That's when it gets a lot of attention. That, that seemingly gets more attention than the actual regular season games themselves. But what we're talking about the NBA Finals. LeBron James, one of the best players of all time, he's playing. So when I saw you sharing those numbers as far as just how bad the ratings were, I'm a little shocked. I think there's – I think there's a lot to do with what you said as far as even though maybe they're not going up head-to-head -head at the same time, people are just in football mode. That's how it works in September and October. But I wonder, for me personally, I can only speak for myself, I like having a villain. And there's no villain in the NBA anymore. For me, the villain was the Golden State Warriors. I knew that it, with healthy, they were going to beat anybody because they were, in fact, a super team. But I still tuned in hoping to maybe get a payoff. Maybe they'd get upset or something like that. When LeBron took him down in 2016, that was awesome. Uh, and right now, I don't, I'm not a super fan of the Lakers. I'd like to see them get a ring for Kobe and whatnot. Uh, I, I like this Heat team because I like the story. But, like, I don't have really any rooting interest at all. And normally, when I'm watching two teams play that I don't 
really like or hate, I'll find a way to get into it and say, okay, this is the team I'm rooting for. I could not care less as far as who wins this series. I think the Lakers are going to end up getting it done, but I think there are a variety of factors, but what you hit on is probably the one that makes the most sense. People think they're into the NBA. They're just not used to watching it right now. And football, by the way, is a huge distraction, college and pro. Yeah, I just think when you – and I talked about this in June. I just remember the, the the NBA schedule coming out in the sense of, okay, we get to the bubble this day. Or no, 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 we return to our facilities this day, uh, which was like mid-June. Then we play two weeks there. Then we go to Orlando. Then we spend two weeks there. Then we do the – we start the season July 31st or 30th or whatever it was. And you just – like, why can't we just get this thing rolling in three, four, five weeks? And, like, I understand that – you know, there was variables with testing and quarantining and all that. Like, I get all that. But they, I just felt like they went two, three weeks too long, and I think we're seeing the repercussions of it right now. And to your point, for people who didn't see my tweet, I did mention off the top, but game uh, two, which was Friday night, no real head-to-head competition with anybody. It basically did the same rating as Mississippi State LSU Saturday college football when, one, there's a million other games on, and, two, I think Mike Leach, he's got a quirky little internet following, but he's not a national commodity, national brand uh, like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, whatever. So, I, I, like, I really do think it's part of it, and I've been saying it since June, is I think that they really made a tactical mistake by waiting so long to get into – not to just get into the bubble, but once they got there to get the games going two full weeks of regular season before the playoffs, on and on and on and on and on. A couple things you mentioned bring me to my second point that I want your opinion on. You talked about not having a villain. You talked about the NBA free agency period – Um, being more entertaining in many ways than certainly the regular season and definitely the postseason. I think this is hurting the NBA, okay? And this is like my half-baked, like, Colin Cowherd theory where I was just sitting up at night, I couldn't sleep, and I was just thinking about it. But uh, I mentioned this off the top, uh, very proud of this moment in my my young marriage, just celebrated our one-year anniversary in July. Uh, I convinced my wife to watch The Last Dance, uh, and we're like episode six right now maybe, um, she loves it, uh, which is great, uh, cause it makes it easy for me, but I bring it up because I think that something else that's turning off the casual fan more than the politics and the, this and the, that, I really do think this is the year that the team jumping has caught up with the NBA because like, as I watch the last dance and they just chronicle okay, this, you know, the Bulls had to overcome the Celtics and then the Pistons and then Jordan gets to the finals. And every single year, like literally every single year, he's got a new challengers. It's the Laker, it's Clyde Drexler, it's Charles Barkley, it's Gary Payton and and Sean Kemp, it's Carl Malone and John Stockton. And like, maybe I'm using revisionist history as somebody that was young in that era, Patrick Ewing, Reggie Miller in the East. Like, I think that was part of the allure of the Jordan era was every year there was a new challenger. Every year somebody thought they had built the team to beat Jordan, and you had to tune in to see if he could do it every single year. And so I I was talking about this before. Like, I just think, you know, the team changing, uh, you're flipping teams, LeBron, you know, I, I think that he had that kind of moment in Cleveland where, yes, it was quick, but he still had to kind of get through the Warriors. Uh, But then he goes to L.A., doesn't like his team, gets literally the whole roster traded except for Kyle Kuzma. Like, I just think that's kind of a turnoff to fans who are just like, 
dude, I don't even know half the guys on the Lakers. I like, I, I like this team came together three weeks ago before the bubble started. I don't know. I think this is all a factor. I really do. I do too. And now we actually have some numbers to back it up because is if a lot of stars are playing together, that's going to of course bring a lot of tension to a certain team, but maybe the bubble is actually burst, no pun intended, because it's just, it, it really is hard. Like LeBron being with the Lakers is great, but I mean, his, his move there was kind of predictable. I just don't think there's a, like, there aren't a ton of people. And if he gets a ring this year, not to say it won't be super impressive, but I mean, it's also not going to be surprising because he's got Anthony Davis on his team. Now the last dance reminded me of how much real competitiveness there was in the NBA. And this is such a boomer thing to say that it's not competitive anymore, but this is actually what's happening. Those guys, it was personal. Now they don't think they wanted to beat each other up off the floor, but Reggie Miller's my all-time favorite player. And I grew up in the 90s watching him every year get put out of the playoffs by Jordan because it was, the Jordan, it was Jordan and the Bulls. But I remember even as a young kid knowing how competitive Jordan and, 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 and Reggie Miller were with each other. And it was something you could just sense. Uh, there was a lot of respect for one another, but those guys competed. Reggie would have never left Indiana to go join Scotty and Michael Jordan with the Bulls. Never. They just weren't wired that way. And back then, they hated each other. And it was awesome. There was real-life tension, real-life rivalries. Not, not, I mean, the best one all was probably how personal Jordan took it with Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons. Like, that was great. And now you don't have that because you have guys that are, you know, we'll, we'll, when they beat you in the playoffs, let's go join each other next year so we don't have to go through this battle again. And it's just – I hate that it's like that. I mean, I, what really stands out to me is that there is no way around it. Whenever you had the, the, the multi-year consecutive battle between – the Warriors and the Cavs in the NBA Finals, they were a rivalry. I mean, LeBron yeah. James, when he finally beat him, he wore the ultimate Warrior T-shirt. That's not by accident. Yet if you ask either side, Cleveland or Golden State, if they're rivals, they were too cool to be rivals. They're too cool to be caught up in that because they don't even care. Like, admit you hate another opponent like Jordan wasn't afraid to do. Embrace it and compete. That's the competitiveness, the raw competitiveness that used to be around that just is not there anymore. And I think that's – We've seen it, I think, for a while now with these super teams, but I think we've finally gotten to the point where people just aren't as interested anymore. Well, and that's the word is competitiveness. And and again, I don't want to sound like, uh, you know, uh, grandpa on the porch here, but like, I do think it does turn like, like, I do think it turns off the casual fan of like, oh, you know, it didn't work, gonna go. I think, by the way, this has been my argument on radio for a long time. I think the casual fan is turned off by guys like Anthony Davis and Paul George that commit to a franchise, sign a long-term contract, and then just decide midway through, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, it's so, um, what's the word? It's, it's so opposite of how the real world works of, you know, you sign a contract with your employer. You can't, you, not only you sign a contract with your employer, to be the face of the organization, whatever the organization is, let alone the, the rest of us that are just a, a name and a number at our job. It's like, you can't just decide two years in, yeah, I took all this money uh, to be the face of this whole thing, but I don't really like the way that it's going. So I'm just going to roll out of here. I'm going to demand a trade. I'm going to refuse to play. I'm going to essentially refuse to show up to work. And so I, again, I know I'm getting um, old guy on the lawn and all that stuff, but like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, like, I don't want to say that these guys aren't competitive because I do think that they are. But I also just think it's one of those deals where, like, it, I do think people are a little turned off. Like, oh, you know, 
it's it's a bad analogy now because he's already left. But KD can't get get can't get to can't get to the top, so he's just going to quit and pick up his ball and leave and go find a a better situation. You know, Anthony Davis, Paul George, the guys that I mentioned. Um, I just think it's a really big turnoff, and I do think like. I don't know. I, I think it's hurting. The other thing, too, I would say is also this. Living in L.A., maybe I have a little bit of a different perspective. But, you know, I, I also think it's even for a fan of a team that's good, it's hard to get into. It was funny. We had our neighbor over uh, watch game three on Sunday night. Uh, he's a huge Laker fan. He's like, dude, you know, I grew up on Kobe. Like, I saw Kobe at the top. I saw Kobe at the bottom where they were barely making the playoffs. And then I saw him rise again. He's like, look, I, I actually am not one of these guys that doesn't like LeBron. I just don't see, like, like I just don't even know him. Like, like he just got here 10 minutes ago, and he just brought all these guys that I know nothing about. So I think all these factors are playing in. But I do think the core of it is competitiveness, and people are just like, dude, like, I, I just, like, I don't want to see a bunch of – I know I'm, I'm turning into old man, non-millennial guy, but, like, I just don't want to see a bunch of guys that, that – you know, experience one ounce of failure and they immediately run to the next thing. Well, I think one thing that people forget and everybody, it's not even something that you attempt to do or seek, but it's natural to get into something that, that you can relate to and how yeah. these guys are jumping from team to team. Nobody in the real world can relate to that. That's why the better stories or if the Lakers were able to draft LeBron and he turned into LeBron, Lakers fans love having LeBron, but they just know deep down, no matter how try hard they, they, they fight it, like they just kind of got lucky. Not to say that yeah. it wasn't a deserving franchise for him to sign with, but that's just what the game has turned into. You are going – like here's an example. Donovan Mitchell has a chance to be one of the um, – one of the maybe, – maybe the guys that can shift back to these players sticking with the team who actually invested in them and drafted him. Gordon Hayward became an all-star. He developed with Utah, became a really good player, took some time. And you know what? He bailed. And Utah felt like, you know what? What are we going to do? That was, that was how we have to do it. We're not going to get anybody in free agency. And sure enough, that same year that he signed with Boston, they drafted Donovan. Now he's their franchise player. Has helped lead him to the playoffs. But there's already talk in Utah about what he's going to do whenever he has an option to, to look and leave elsewhere. And it's just like if you're that franchise and it happens twice with the two franchise players you drafted, you've done all you could and you're just screwed. And, and the NBA, the players have more power now than they ever have. And I know most would say that's great. We would all love to have as much power as possible in our careers, whatever it is that we do. But it has hurt the league that these guys have these contracts where they can opt out. If you're a good enough player, no matter what deal you sign, you're going to get an opt out. And it's going to lead to, you know, being able to walk if you want. And I just, and that's why coaches are getting fired the way they are. And they're just, it's retread. I, I think the players have so much power and I guess it's good for them. But I think the overall product that is the NBA is being damaged because of that they get talked about a lot year-round because of all this free agency but it's hard for people to keep up with and if you're going team to team and it's always just constantly moving it's hard to even get into it not only because you can't keep up with it but you just know hey well he's, he'll be there for another year then he'll probably opt out and go somewhere else no, 100%. I'll use another example. Um, and, the, you know, most NBA talk we've probably ever done on the show, but I was filling in on radio the night that the Bucks lost to the Heat. And the it immediately turned into, well, you know, what if, you, you know, Giannis can, can leave next summer and he should demand, he could demand a trade now. And I'm like, why? He was the problem. Him yeah. sucking is why they lost that series. And like, I that's get what the NBA's turned into because yes. in, in, a, in, a, in a previous world, it would have been, wow, how has he not been able to get it done for his franchise yet? He's the MVP and he can't get him past the second round. And now because players have the power, 
well, he needs to get out of Milwaukee because they just can't win. He needs help. Well, I mean, yeah, I would argue that maybe my, Milwaukee doesn't have enough, um, you know, back end talent compared to some other teams, but still, like, I just, I'm with you. He was part of the problem. And yet most fans natural reaction is not to just quest challenge him for coming up short. It's to, it's yeah. to say, well, you know, he's got to get out of there. And that's just, the NBA didn't used to be like that. Yeah, no, and it goes back to the Jordan documentary where, you know, we just finished the part where they lose to the Pistons in game seven and he demands the team show up the next day to start working out. And I was sitting there with the Giannis stuff. Like, I was on air, and I was like, how has it, it – they, they lose at 9 p.m. Eastern, and by 9.07 it is, should he demand a trade? Will he demand a trade? Uh, and I'm like, dude, he was the problem. Get in the gym, learn how to shoot a three-pointer, and this won't happen. Anyway, let's move on. Oh, and then one more thing to throw yeah. on, one more thing to throw on that Giannis thing. But it's just it, it, not to blame ESPN because again, it's good for their business to talk about everything NBA nonstop because they have the majority of the games on their station. Um, but one of the biggest talking points after that was that he unfollowed his teammates on Instagram. Like, who sure. cares? Like, wh- wh- I mean, that that being a storyline by the Four Letter Network just further confirms that the drama, the off the court stuff, is more sellable. And more, I guess, will people react to to where there's just no, nobody talks about actually watching the games anymore. You just talk about which team this guy's going to go yeah. to, uh, you know, the, 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 the played out Jordan LeBron debate, all that kind of stuff. So, like, I know we've talked more NBA than ever, but I love the NBA. And I think it's, it's unfortunate to hear these numbers that are out there, but I, I kind of think we probably should have saw this coming. No, I, I do too. I do too. And I do think it's a convergence of things. But like you said, you know, there's an old saying, uh, what is it? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I just think these guys have too much. I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, again, I, I hate to keep prefacing everything I say. Like you said, if we all had that power, we would all take full advantage of it as you should if you have that power. If you're the highest paid employee at your company, you should have a say in how things are done. But I do think maybe too much power uh, in the player's hands. And I do think it's hurting the product and people can disagree. But guess what? The ratings say otherwise. All right, Nick, we're through, uh, what, five weeks of college football, I guess? By technicality, we're entering week six, but it's week three in the SEC and week five in the ACC. And Hard to keep keep up. Uh, I talked about pretty much everything on Monday. I mean, I, I literally hit on like 10 different teams, just a couple minutes on each team. Uh, and I encourage people, if they haven't listened to Monday's episode, go back. It was a good recap of the weekend that was. We're now through, you know, really, um, in some cases, 20% of the season in the SEC. In some cases, uh, closer to about a third in the ACC. The Big Ten and Pac-12 aren't even going to start for another couple weeks. What to you are are or is the biggest storyline in college football right now? Oh, man, the biggest storyline. Well, I don't know if it's a storyline, but what stood out to me more than anything is if you would just imagine turning on your TV and watching college football this weekend and not knowing, like, I guess what I'm getting at is this has become the new norm. Half empty, well, not even half empty, more than half empty stadiums, everybody wearing masks. Like, I fell asleep on the couch on Saturday before I went to the sports book. And I woke up nice. and I just first thing I saw was first thing I saw was fans in the stands sitting in masks. And I'm just like, if I just woke up from a you know a six month nap and this is what sports looked like, it'd be really weird. But that's just it's become you do something long enough, it's become the new norms. So it is a little weird, but all it took was like a couple weeks, and here we are. This is the season, this is what it's gonna look like. Um, one thing that I 
have I don't think we're going to ever really get a feel for knowing just how good certain teams and leagues are because that's what the non-conference is for. Now, we're going to trust that the SEC is still the best league because it's been the best league in college football for decades, right? But because they're only playing each other, you know, just, is Arkansas actually that much improved? I mean, they are, clearly. They hadn't won a game in two years, and then they come out and beat a team that just beat the, nas- the national champions the week before. But, like, because you're only playing each other, there's nothing really to compare it to, right? So the Big 12, my biggest takeaway right now, and it's still early, I'm waiting for the Big 10 to get started. The SEC still just in their first couple of weeks. But the Big 12 just being a really overrated league uh, is probably the biggest storyline for me. But we would have never known just how weak it is had they not played that one non-conference game. Like, they have to regret that. They looked at that as a chance to get some fans in the stands, get a patsy win for each coach. And some of those teams lost. And sure enough, Kansas State loses to a Sunbelt team. They turn around and beat Oklahoma. And then a week later, Iowa State, who also lost to a Sunbelt team, they then beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma's now lost for the first time or lost consecutively for the first time in forever. And if they wouldn't have played those non-conference games, we would have never known. So, like, Texas can just tell us, what are you going to do? TCU is a much better team. You know, TCU is actually supposed to be as bad as they've been under Gary Patterson this year. We know they're not good. So, uh, I just – I guess it's – I've heard – over and over for years now, especially the last two years, about how weak the ACC is outside of Clemson. And Clemson has created miles of separation between themselves and everybody in the league. And all that's true. I think it has a lot more to do with Clemson than anybody else. But clearly, the rest of the ACC has just not been able to get back to where it wants to be. But the Big 12 this year doesn't even have a Clemson. Like, who is the best team? Oklahoma State, a team that probably should have lost to Tulsa. So, I just, here I am three, four weeks in. It's, as you mentioned a moment ago, it's hard to keep up with because not everybody started on the exact same time. But where is the noise about the Big 12 being insanely weak? Where is the noise about the Big 12 already playing itself out of the playoff? Because I just feel like the ACC, not even to defend the ACC as if they were unfairly getting criticized, but again, the Big 12's been a fraud so far this year. Well, first of all, a lot to peel back there. One, um, you're right. It's just when Oklahoma isn't good, when Texas certainly hasn't been good for a lot of people probably don't even remember when they were good at this point. Uh, it makes the whole conference look bad. And that's been the Pac-12's biggest problem the last couple of years is you can mask how bad everybody else is if you do have a Clemson or an Ohio State in the Big Ten. And I think the Big Ten, obviously, there's more depth there than there's frankly probably been in a very long time. Um, but you can't mask it if that best program that's supposed to be good isn't good. And that's been the Pac-12's biggest problem is USC has been terrible. And so it makes everybody else look terrible by comparison, because when USC is good, uh, nobody can really compete with them at that highest level. So I agree with you on the big 12. The only thing I would really say uh, is that I, I do think it has become a talking point is like this conference stinks. They're not getting better. Uh, you know, like, I, I think it's pretty much over for a playoff berth. I mean, I, you could say Oklahoma State's undefeated. By the way, they've played two games of SE, of conference play. Oklahoma State's the only undefeated team in the league. Now, there's other teams that are undefeated in conference play, but it, it's not looking good that a team is going to finish 9-1 and one or 10-1 and one or whatever it is and make the college football playoff. But to me, that's the biggest story, too. It, it's Oklahoma. I mean, it's just it's just a deal where – and I talked about this on Monday's show, but is I just don't think – I think we all just kind of assumed, oh, it's plug and play with Lincoln Riley. Oh, whoever he gets, they'll be fine. And it's like, dude, 
it's tough. It's tough every single year when you get everybody's best shot. Now they're doing it with a redshirt freshman at quarterback. And I talked about this is like, I think we all just assumed, oh, it doesn't matter who plays quarterback. They're going to be awesome. And like, to their credit, they put up a bunch of points, 30 on Saturday, 35, I think against Kansas state. I do think there's a difference though, between a 22 year old Baker Mayfield, a 21 year old Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, fourth year junior, and a guy who's never started a college game before. Uh, and I think that's really hurting Oklahoma. I'll be fascinated how this game goes with Texas this weekend. But, like, I just don't think Oklahoma's very good right now, which is probably the most surprising thing out of this college football season so far. Yeah, and I think Lincoln Riley deserves credit for the offenses he's put together in recent years and the success he's gotten out of those quarterbacks. But you're absolutely right. All three of those guys are super talented. This young freshman, maybe he'll get there at some point. But it wasn't just – plug the next guy in to follow. I mean, keep in mind, this kid, Spencer Rattler's his name. I mean, he's clearly a, a guy that was a really highly regarded quarterback coming out of high school. Uh, he was on one of the Netflix reality shows where they follow quarterbacks in high school. I remember seeing him in that. You could tell he was billed as the real deal, the next big college star, but look at Kyler Murray, who's having a great run so far in the NFL, Baker Mayfield, getting it back going Again, Baker Mayfield, one of the better quarterbacks as far as statistics go, had a great run in Oklahoma his entire career. Jalen Hurts had been with Alabama. So yes. um, this is probably something we probably should have seen coming and that no matter if this kid's good early, he still is following three great college quarterbacks. Uh, but, yeah, now, now it, it just, it's weird to see Oklahoma struggle at all. It's even weirder to see it because quarterback play is not where it needs to be. Not that he's the only reason they're struggling, but he's certainly been a part of it. Well, that was, and that was my big thing is that, like, I just think um, – even, no matter how talented you are coming out of high school, um, like, dude, Baker Mayfield started multiple games in the Big 12. We, you and I talked about it back when Baker was in the uh, NFL draft of he won the starting job as a true freshman walk-on at Texas. Like, do you know how many guys you have to pass to win a starting job as a true freshman walk-on? That's insane. And so he had proven it at Texas Tech. Now he gets hurt, loses the job, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Kyler Murray, there's he's butting heads, whatever, with Kevin Sumlin, blah, 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 blah. Jalen Hurts loses the job to Tua. But those guys delivered at every other spot uh, leading up to Oklahoma. So I, I just think we put a little bit too much stake into, like, the Lincoln Riley kid. He could do anything with anybody. Not his fault. Not saying he's not a good coach. Real quick on Texas. Are they just going to be – like a seven and five team in perpetuity. I just, I just feel like we're like, like we've crossed every bridge, multiple coaches, new coordinators, new quarterbacks, new defense, new this, this recruiting class. And like on Monday's show, I wanted to have an opinion on Texas, but it's just like, this happens. This has happened every year since Cole McCoy left like 11 years ago. I just think we're just at the, like until Texas is something other than a team that's seven and five that can occasionally go nine and three, but isn't really competitive with the big boys. Like, I just, I don't know what else there is to say about this team. I really don't. Yeah. Texas is one of those programs where you hear people say, well, college football is better when Texas is good, but is that true? Like college football has been fine. In fact, you could argue it's the best it's ever been now that we have the four-team playoff every year. That's made the regular season that much more valuable. The chase for the playoff is awesome. And Texas has really not been a part of it. They flirted with it occasionally. But as you mentioned, they always get back to proving that they're not once what they were. And 
that's a good question. When will we get to the point where we stop even looking and searching for that? I think we know the, the potential that that program has given the resources, given the location, and given the history. But I mean, how long has it been since they were talked about as one of the perennial programs year in and year out? It actually makes you appreciate and respect more so the consistence that have been there, meaning the programs that since the playoffs been around, there's like three or four teams that every year you know we're going to be in the conversation. Alabama, Clemson, um, Ohio State. Um, maybe there's one more that, that's been – Oklahoma has, has yeah. been right. I mean, we're talking about those programs literally. Any, any year they don't make the playoff, it's kind of a down year for them because that's the standard they've set. Texas is freaking Texas. And what's – I mean, they got that win over Georgia in the Sugar Bowl when clearly Georgia didn't want to be there. That's like the best thing that's happened in Texas football since when? Colt McCoy maybe? Like, um, we, we, they're, they're talking about is. a lot because, again, it is Texas. But – Maybe even if this keeps happening for the next few years, maybe the next time they – oh, actually, let me flip it back to you and ask you this question. There was so much hype with Tom Herman that I feel like that added to it, right? When they hired Charlie Strong, he was coming from Louisville. There wasn't a ton of hype surrounding that hire. In fact, a lot of people looked at it as somewhat of a head-scratching hire. I think Tom Herman was that rock star hire that really fueled it. In, in same, same thing with Harbaugh. When Harbaugh got to Michigan, my goodness, the expectations were through the roof. And Jim Harbaugh's been good at Michigan. He's been good. He just hasn't necessarily been as good as expected. He's, he's put that program in a much better situation. They're winning a lot more than they were before he got there. And the same can be said for Tom Herman. But when the expectations were just too high. And they're probably likely going to be, a, you know, this year, I don't know how many games they're playing, maybe 10 or 11. They'll probably lose four games and be pretty blah. They're not going to be terrible. He probably won't lose his job. But Maybe the ceiling now is not what it once was for Texas. Maybe that's what we're learning here. Yeah, and the crazy thing is there isn't a good reason as to why that ceiling might be lowered. It's not as though – Nothing's like, changed. Yeah, it's not as – like Oklahoma's good. Okay, whatever, Oklahoma's always good. But it's not as though like Texas A&M is this juggernaut and they're selling the SEC. Oh, come play for us, the SEC. Blah, blah. They're recruiting well. But they're not like an insane juggernaut. It's not like TCU or Baylor has elevated themselves where year in and year out. I just don't get it. And you mentioned Tom Herman. Um, I don't have a good reason why he hasn't been successful. I mean, obviously a ton of success in his two years at Houston. There was essentially a bidding war between Texas and LSU for his services. And the great irony there is, of course, LSU ended up with their backup plan, which was Ed Orgeron. He's coming off a national championship. So um, I don't have a good reason why Tom Herman hasn't been good, but I just think it's unbelievable to me um, that they just like, it's just like I was watching them really against Texas Tech two weeks ago. And then this past weekend, it's just like, they're just the same team. They're just like, they're fine. They're going to win some shootouts. They're going to have one or two games where they just don't show up and lose. It's just so bizarre to me uh, what's happened to that program. Last thing on college football, unless you have anything else, I did want to ask you, you mentioned the ACC gets crapped on year in and year out. Oh, they don't play any, you know, it's Clemson and, and the 14 Dwarves, 13 Dwarves, however many damn teams are on that league. Every year it's a little different. Um, Miami this weekend, I know it's a little early to be looking ahead to the college football weekend ahead, but you saw Miami in person at Louisville. You think they got any shot or no? I think they have a shot to keep it competitive, but I just I, – until somebody really challenges I agree. Clemson and it's not fluky, like when Syracuse beat them a couple years ago when Carolina came close last year, we know those were fluky games. So until somebody – like I hope this is a really competitive game and it's because both teams are really good, but I'd be a liar if I said I expected that. Miami 
They've made improvement. It's wild to see what Miami looks like with a good quarterback. In fact, good quarterback play and great coaching is really what they've struggled in. They've not struggled in the talent department in recent years. They still bring in a ton of talent, but they haven't had a really good quarterback since when. And Derek King is a good quarterback. So I hope it's competitive, but I just – Clemson is that much better than most of the teams in this league, especially this year when you've got arguably the best running back and the best quarterback. Devil Sweeney's a hell of a coach. Uh, so it's it's I hope that we see a competitive game and it's a good look for the ACC that some teams are getting there and catching up but I'll believe it when I see it Clemson's just that much better and it's a really bad look for your league whenever I mean it's not gotten to the point but it's like when the UConn women's basketball program was in the American like we know that the top team is just that much better that when you go to Charlotte for the ACC championship game every year no matter who's there by the way the uh, coastal division has sent with six different teams in the last six years and every one of them gets their ass kicked. And I just, until that changes, I just have a hard time predicting Clemson not roll no matter who they're playing. No, I, I don't, I, I'll look, I haven't looked enough into the game yet, but I think there's some pretty compelling stats that maybe Miami isn't quite as good as, as their three and O record would indicate. First of all, Florida state literally might, I don't even think it's literal. They, they are, no, I guess it is literal. They are literally the worst team in the ACC and maybe one of the worst two or three teams in the Power Five. Um, so there's that. And then, of I'm course, with you the, Miami. I, I think Miami's better and they have good quarterback play, but I don't buy that they're – I mean, let me see. What are they What are they ranked right now? They're in the top seven. They're not a yeah. top ten team, in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they come out and prove it and they give Clemson a great game and it's a showing. But with the data we've seen from Miami, they beat Louisville pretty easily. They were kind of sluggish and ended up winning with ease against, I think it was UAB. Uh, and then, of course, they played Florida State, who is – I mean, Florida State was down to Jacksonville State at halftime. So, I kind of look at this as really the biggest – it's, it's one thing to just have a game in front of you where you can go prove yourself. They're doing it against the best of the best. So, we'll find out just how good they are. But I, I, I don't believe they're the seventh best team in college football, no matter who's playing. Yeah, and I think they were kind of – I think the reputation is a little misleading. And I think they were – in some ways have certainly helped, but I think they were hurt by having no Big Ten or Pac. Like, if, if they're playing Florida State and it's just a 3.30 kickoff when literally there's 18 other games on and you just kind of are flipping channels, you're not – but, like, people were watching that Florida State game, the same with the Louisville game, where – and I'm not trying to disrespect your cards here, but it's like, dude, you know, uh, if, if, if Louisville-Miami are playing at noon and there's two SEC games and two Big Ten games and you just kind of see, okay, Miami put up a bunch of points, are we really that excited about them? So maybe they prove us both wrong. No, uh, you're, you're, you're spot on with – Louisville, of course, took – like the, those who started early got to take advantage of some things that normally you wouldn't take – you yep. wouldn't be able to get if normally college, if college football was in its normal situation, right? Miami and Louisville being game day – Let's be real. It's because there was no other good games. It was billed as a battle between two ranked teams because only three conferences were playing. Like it just, it was, you know, you're happy to get that spotlight, but I think Miami really cashed in on that. Not only because they got the spotlight, but they played well and won, but it's hard to really know what it meant whenever it was just not to say it wasn't the real season because it was, but we all knew that, you know, it's, it's, we still haven't seen Ohio State play the big 10 and all that. And the SEC hadn't started yet. So, yeah, I think them getting that exposure has been great for Miami, but it wouldn't shock me if they come out and get killed by Clemson. And that necessarily wouldn't mean that they're bad, but I just, I, again, when I see that number seven next to their name, I'm just not buying it. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting too. I mean, there's not many times that Dabo Sweeney in a regular season can say like, 
you know, circle an opponent and say, hey, people think that these guys can beat you. I, I don't know. I mean, I ha like I said, I haven't looked enough into the game to really have a strong opinion on a Monday afternoon as we record here. Uh, but I, I think it'll be interesting, and I probably lean Clemson pretty heavily as well. All right, last topic. You know, we had to go here. Chris Mack, John Calipari, uh, college basketball scheduling. Who knew college basketball scheduling was so interesting? Uh, first question. Where were you when the Chris Mack video dropped? Um, I had just changed a poopy diaper. Oh, uh, come on. I took my son from the changing table uh, to his swing in the nursery and uh, phones on the changing table still. I turn around because it's vibrating and I thought it was a call. Like I thought somebody was calling me and it was vibrating, but it was just vibrating because everybody was sending that video to me. Like, oh, have you seen this? So I think I was a little bit late. I think I saw it like maybe 10, 15 minutes after it came out. Um, but I watched it from start to finish and had to rewatch it again because I had to make sure I actually was seeing what I was seeing. So uh, I, maybe this will be one of those things we all here in Louisville and in the state of Kentucky overall remember where we were when it went down. <laughs> It would speak to how much college basketball matters in the state of Kentucky. Uh, and and it, listen, obviously one of the big takeaways everybody had, uh, it was great for the rivalry, man. And, you know, I, I've, I, I talked about it, but listen, I hosted Kentucky Sports Radio a few years ago, and we got calls of like, I kind of like this Chris Mack guy. I don't like the fact that I'm enjoying – like I'm, I'm not like viscerally hating Louisville – I think those days are over, but uh, in terms of the content itself, uh, what did you make of it? We can go back and forth, um, you know, just as a quick refresher. Essentially, it's over playing the Louisville-Kentucky game this year with no fans in the stands in Louisville. Chris Mack's big argument was we had a set date. Kentucky backed out of it because they were coming back from London. The Kentucky has a game and was scheduled to have a game in London this year for people who don't know. And Chris Mack basically said a couple things after that. He said, one, we've rescheduled games with opponents. We didn't think it was, uh, we, you know, we didn't think it was right to go to somebody else's place and play in front of no fans. Uh, and then of course there was the big thing, which I thought was really interesting that he called that allegedly someone called someone from Kentucky called ESPN to try to get Louisville's ACC schedule reworked. I think there's a little bit more there too, but just the, the actual messaging from Chris Mack. Chris Mack made a mistake and his mistake was how honest he was in an interview with my friend, John Fanta. And oh, your buddy. Okay. I don't even know John Fanta and I work at Fox. Yeah. Your buddy, your pal. Yeah, he's okay. a, he's a good guy. And, um, he was asked about playing Kentucky, and I don't really know. I mean, I guess he could have just said, well, we're working on that. We hope to, but nothing can I jump in yet. Here for, can I jump sure. in here for half a second? I have no inside knowledge on this, and you might. To me, as somebody who does this kind of thing, hosts a podcast, you know, it felt almost to me as though Chris Mack wanted to get the message out that he wasn't really that excited to play this game and that Kentucky needed to kind of meet him in the middle. And I'm asking because as a fan of college basketball, I, am, I obviously have interests outside of the sport, but I think I'm pretty knowledgeable as to what's going on. If I had Chris Mack on a podcast, there would never be a presumption in my head that the Kentucky game isn't getting played. And so when I watched the initial interview with John Fanta in which um, Chris Mack said, hey, 
you know, we just don't think it's fair. We're looking at all options. We're wondering if we can do this on a neutral court. Do you think that was a message that Chris Mack wanted to get out in some capacity? Because to me, it just as somebody who interviews people for a living, it wasn't something that I would have thought to ask if I had Chris Mack on my show. I can. I hadn't given that much thought, but I don't think that it. The the fact that that question came up, I guess it probably was a long. It was a it was an add-on question, just discussing what non-conference schedules just look like. But I don't gotcha. think Chris Mack would want that out there. If he did, that was foolish, and he learned the hard way that his own fan base was really coming after him because there was just going to be like, and, and what he said, he never said he didn't want to play the game, but what he said was he wanted to do it on a neutral court because there's no equity. And you can't just, you just can't say those things in a rivalry and not expect the other side to accuse you of being scared. And then Calipari, it's a game of chess. Cal had made the right move. He controlled the narrative and said, look, I understand his concerns. I talked to Chris, but we plan on playing that game. And if they don't want to play it, I guess we'll play somebody else. So there was no scenario where if the game didn't get played, we would all just have to look at Chris Mack and blame him. There was no turning. There was no good. There's no good comeback from that. Um, and I think being honest about, hey, there's no equity. We did this with Cincinnati. We're going to delay their series because it wouldn't be fair to have somebody lose a home game. And he was, I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself here because everything he said was true. UofL is going to miss out on a ton of money because this game is going to have little to no fans. It's the biggest payday you have on your on your calendar every year when Louisville and Kentucky play you can charge whatever for games so you're losing out in home court advantage and you're losing out on a ton of money you make from opening the doors but who knows maybe next year if they delayed it for a year we're likely going to be in somewhat of a similar situation so I think the optics were bad uh, I don't think he did anything PR wise to, to make a huge mistake I just think the, the specifics the specific messaging when he answered John Fanta and then to see how it played out with Cal controlling the narrative and saying, no, we plan on playing. I don't know. You know, and, and Cal's right. Other, I mean, sports are going to go on because of the pandemic. And there's going to be some things you're going to really miss out on. Louisville was missing out on a home game here as far as having fans in the stands and getting a home court advantage. But I, I was really scared, Aaron, because I thought this was going to play out to where this game's not going to be played. And maybe they don't renew it because Cal wants to be better about it. Uh, and Mac, of course, ran from the game. And what, what got me more than anything is knowing Chris like I do, not personally, we don't hang out on the weekends. He's not scared of Kentucky. Now, what does he really have to be scared of? They, Kentucky's beaten Louisville, what, nine of the last 11 times? And for the rivalry to really get back to where we want it to be, as far as from the Louisville side, it's not Chris Mack taking shots on Twitter in a video. It's Louisville winning and making the damn thing competitive. Um, so in, in the end, it, it completely turned around because I think the fans, when that video that's what they thought they were getting with Chris Mack when they saw him at Xavier. And really, you can't manufacture it. You can't fake it. In the first couple of years, there was, nothing, there was no real animosity. He's got no reason not to like Calipari. Well, now, I think the one thing that did bother Mack wasn't just about Kentucky not wanting to do a neutral or them backing out on a date and then scheduling somebody else on that date. Like, I think that stuff was kind of petty. But Dino Gaudio, former – what did he do before he worked for Chris Mack? Worked for ESPN. Sure. And from what I understand, he got a phone call and said, hey, you know that somebody from, you know, Kentucky's calling and trying to get one of your ACC games moved? And I think that genuinely bothered Chris Mack. And he Ooh. decided he was not going to let Calipari control the narrative. Now, in the end, Cal still got what he wanted. The game's going to be played in the Yum Center. And Mack's video essentially was – it was, it was certainly chesty. He was mocking Calipari, doing whatever's convenient for John, but he's kind of insinuating that he lost. 
he didn't get his way. He knew that the fans were upset, and he keeps hearing, are you scared of Kentucky? Are you chicken? And he said, you know what? I'm not going to stand in the way of the rivalry. He was almost admitting that he didn't get what he wanted, but we're going to play anyway, which is great. That's best-case scenario because right before that video came out, it seemed like Cal was controlling the narrative, and I just did not see this ending well for Mac and Louisville. And look, when they play this year, Kentucky's likely going to have a better team, so they're likely going to win. Um, but just if, if you were to not – I'd rather lose to them every year than run from the series and it never be played again because the two sides become petty. No, and, and I, that was my reaction as well, is that, you know, essentially what it was – you know, we talk about, we use the term, oh, the back and forth in the rivalry. And in this case, there was at least publicly no back and forth. It was John Calipari is like, dude, you know, John Calipari who likes to pick fights with everybody was like, dude, I got nothing to do with this. Just like, I'm just, I'm bringing my team if they want me to bring my team. And so I felt like Chris Mack essentially did the video one, like you said, to poke at him a little bit, but just to be like, dude, Let's get this whole story out here because I don't want to, if this doesn't go down for some reason or whatever, I don't want to be solely blamed for all of this. Um, and I think like, I get why he did it. I thought it was theatrically really well done. And I want to ask you about that in a minute, but I, I thought that it made like, like I got why he did it. So two quick things. One, you mentioned the ESPN thing and what I would argue, you're more plugged in on the Louisville side. So you would know. What I would argue is, my first reaction to that is, is it Kentucky trying to get a game moved, or was it just Kentucky calling ESPN and like, okay, what are they committed to? Can we move this? Can we do it on this day? Because like, I would say in Kentucky's defense, like if my if Louisville scheduled to play Georgia Tech on a Saturday in December, because that's the way the schedule is going. Um, like, I could see Kentucky being like, well, why don't you just move the Georgia Tech game? This game's better for everybody if it gets played then. So I'm not saying that's what happened, and it sounds as though it wasn't, but I could also see the scenario where it isn't quite as salacious as maybe Chris Mack made it out to be, but it sounds like from what you're hearing, it was very much, hey, I don't care when they're playing, move this game to accommodate us. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it was salacious. I just know that they were inquiring about it and seeing what they could do. And it, I, I, the only reason I think it struck with Mac is that they didn't, they didn't coordinate with him. Apparently the two sides were talking about a date in the game. And I don't think L knew that Kentucky, whoever it was, was making calls to ESPN without Louisville knowing. I think that's the thing that said, okay, I thought we were working together on this. And here you are calling the TV network because it's Louisville. Like, so Louisville and ESPN are the ones when the game's played in Lexington, it's on CBS every year. When it's played in, in Louisville, it's on ESPN. So they are the one who decides the date. So technically, because of the conference relationship, so technically, if there's going to be anybody talking to ESPN about the date and coordinating it, Louisville. it's Louisville. It shouldn't be Makes Kentucky. Sense. So I, I don't think they were – I mean, look, December 26th, if that's the day of the game, which Calipari tweeted out, then, then I mean, who knows, maybe – I mean. If I'm being honest, let's move Louisville, Georgia Tech, or Louisville Pitt because Louisville, the ACC is going to play three games in December before they start the conference play uh, in January. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky was trying to figure out what ESPN had in mind for those Louisville conference games because if you can put one – like the game two, year, two, three, you know, maybe four years ago, 2017, it was played on a Wednesday night because, again, right. the, there was no way to do it with the bowl week. The, the way the calendar fell, ESPN was loaded with bowl games that weekend. So they couldn't do it unless they wanted to do it on, like, ESPNU. So uh, 
to defend Kentucky, and I have no clue what the call was, I can understand why they'd want to really know because there's a lot of moving parts with how yeah. these schedules come together. I just think it was the perfect little thing that lit a fire under Chris Mack. And I'm a little surprised Calipari didn't respond. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't think he was going to fire up Twitter and, and release a video. Um, but I think there's a chance maybe he doesn't want to swing down yet because keep in mind, he, when he gets competitive with the likes of Patino, who he followed in Patino's footsteps, Krzyzewski, I don't know if he's a rival, but clearly – they go back and forth with each other, taking, you know, shots here or there you know, without naming names. But Chris Mack is, you know, a, a deserving coach for Louisville, a great hire. I don't think you could have done better when you hired him. But Calipari's a Hall of Famer, has won a national championship. He may kind of just not really entertain this much more other than his tweet that said, see you on December 26th, can't wait. Because there were some Kentucky fans that wanted him to fire back and keep this thing going. I want that too. But he may look at Chris Mack as not somebody that's really worth that just yet. And I honestly kind of understand that. I hope he does because it'd be great for the rivalry here. But, you know, does he really care about Chris Mack, right? When, when it was Rick, it was personal. It was so deeply rooted. With this, I mean, now at least Cal has a video that Mack put together kind of mocking him. But it still may not get a genuine reaction from Calipari. He'll, he'll feud with people, but I think it has to be real. No, fair enough. And I also just thought it was one of those, like, I won the argument. It's like when you're a kid and you and your brother or sister get into a fight and you won and mom and dad are mad at them and you just kind of like, all right, see ya. Okay, we'll talk later. Like, and you just kind of drop the mic and walk out. And that was kind of what I took that as. Uh, two quick questions. I know you got to run here. First one, did you have a problem or did the Louisville fan base have a problem? Might be the better. Because with Mac not wanting to play the game, it, it, like willing to sacrifice the game this season if it oh, meant Oh, everybody had a problem with it. Okay. Yeah, it was – It was. I was actually traveling. I was still working, but I was traveling when this whole thing kind of became a story. Uh, and it just – it. he was taking a lot of – like I didn't hear one single Louisville fan say, well, he's right for trying to get him to do a neutral game. This is the right thing. Now, I think they they, they – it wasn't as if the fan base had turned on him, but he did not have a lot of defenders because, again, it was just shaping up to where, man, it doesn't sound like this game's going to be played, and there's going to be no way to blame it on anybody but Chris Mack. And I just think that was a it, – it's different. Like, when Louisville collapses against Duke with a 23-point lead, that's, that's people crushing Chris Mack for, for those kind of reasons. But this was the first time for nothing related to being a coach he took some heat for because – so far, he's still in the honeymoon phase. He's such a relatable guy compared to the previous coach here that that's still valuable to a lot. So it almost felt like people were, you know, getting on one of their buddies. Like, what are you doing, man? You can't, you can't, I mean, you're right. It is kind of unfortunate that you're going to miss out on some revenue and that you're going to lose home court advantage if there's no fans. But come on, it's the rivalry. You can't get in the way of it. And it seemed like he was going to do that. And uh, I, he'll never admit it. But I would love to hear his honest answer as far as what he thought of the reaction because he's – He's on social media, right? He's not going back and forth with trolls, but he's one of those coaches that can't lie and say he doesn't know what's being said about him and his program. And I think that showed. I think that video was put together and put out there because he was done hearing that he was, you know, scared and, and he was being a coward. So, and in a way, he, he kind of, I mean, he aired some dirty laundry, but it really wasn't salacious, right? It was just kind of giving a little bit more of the backstory. And that's why I think sort of the tone was, almost like him admitting that he he lost this whole fight. He's going to play him, and this is the way it should be. Yeah, the thing that it reminded me of, and me being my background that I have writing a book about Kentucky, in Calipari's first year there, 
he kind of poo-pooed like the SEC tournament. He's like, oh, this is so dumb. I hate conference tournaments. And like the fan base got mad at him. They're like, dude, this is our biggest week of the year. The whole fan base goes down to Nashville. We go crazy. We have a good time. And for you to say this doesn't matter to you, like kind of pisses us off. And I think he realized, and I've talked to Matt Jones, our, our buddy from Kentucky Sports Radio, you know, my boss, about that of like, I think he really kind of learned like what – whether, no matter how you feel, you just can't say it. And I think that this is kind of Chris Mack's moment like that. Last question, I'll let you go. Um, I mentioned this a minute ago. The theatrics on that were amazing. How many takes do you think it took him to get the video? There's no way he did that on the first take. I refuse to believe it. I think it was either the first take or it took countless times. I think it took countless he, times. Until he just got it right. I don't think it was really in the middle. Um, and, you know, what I'd like to know is when did it hit him? That's what he's going to do because it seems subtle. It seemed playful, although it was, it's just not something you, like in 24 hours, Aaron, that had 1.4 million views. Yes. I mean, it got a lot of attention nationally because you don't normally see. Got more coach, views than most college basketball games will this year. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And it's because of, the, of what he said. And again, the delivery. Um, so he probably, given how, given how monumental it was for him as far as the fan base now siding with him. Yeah, that's my coach. He's at least fighting back. We're not going to play. We're not scared. And screw you, Cal, for trying to change our schedule. Like, that's, that's the noise you're hearing around here, and it's great. And for, but for it to be so good, I'm with you, it probably wasn't something that was just a one-take kind of thing. But however many times it took him, it was worth it because it was phenomenally done. I thought it was excellent. I, when he was rubbing his chin and he says – think pounding the table – Yes, yeah, no. He definitely rehearsed that a few times. All right, Nick Coffey, uh, 790 KRD, 7 to 10 Eastern. Uh, check him out on Twitter at the Card Connect. Anything special, anything new, different you're working on, guests, anything outside the ordinary on the show right now? Man, uh, for me, because sports betting is so much of a, it's so much more talked about in sports than it ever has been. We're still behind in Kentucky, but right across the river in southern Indiana, we have legal sports betting. I partner with FanDuel Sportsbook. I made my first trip, as I mentioned earlier, to the sportsbook across the river over the weekend. And uh, we talk a lot more betting than we ever have. Never thought we would, but it's been great. I mentioned a lot of your picks. I gave you props for the uh, first half Alabama cover. Thank the you. gift that keeps on giving. So, uh, yeah, cool. for those who haven't tuned in lately, we do talk a lot more about sports betting, which I think is, is good content. Hopefully you guys will agree. Fantastic. You can hear Nick 7 to 10 Eastern, 790 KRD. Uh, the podcast is readily available. Make sure you're downloading that one after this one. Nick, love having you on, man. We're going to go. You got to go. Uh, I don't even know if you have to go. I just assume you're a busy man with two kids and all that. But I appreciate this, and, you know, we'll keep it rolling. We'll do it again soon, all right? Thanks, as always, for having me. Look forward to doing it again soon, man. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power. Loyalty. 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.